Brittany. You may be seated, and children, you are now dismissed for the last time in a month to go to class. Well, we are going to be continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians, and we are close to the end of chapter 7 as we look at what Paul is continuously saying to the church in Corinth. We love to, here at Indiana Alliance Church, go through books of the Bible and, and kind of go piece by piece, seeing what the Lord is saying exegetically, taking Scripture and applying it to our lives. I'm passionate about that type of preaching because it consistently challenges me and challenges us. It's easy sometimes to go topical and kind of pick and choose and cherry pick topics to talk about from Scripture. But when you go through a book of the Bible, things pop up that you just you can't ignore. When you go verse by verse, there's something really important about that as we study Scripture and encourage one another in Scripture. Let me pray and then we will open up the word of the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that in and of ourselves there is no goodness within us. Yet as believers, we have the goodness of Christ. We are clothed with you. We are made new. We are new creation. We are clothed with Christ. Thank you for all that you do and all that the blood applied to our lives. I thank you for the death of Jesus and the resurrection, proving that he is Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us through the scriptures this morning. That as we expound upon your word, that you will speak deeply to our hearts and to our souls. Not just for information, Lord, but for transformation. In your holy name. Amen and amen. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite authors, and often when I listen to some of his sermons or read some of his books, he has fantastic illustrations that were applicable then that are still applicable now. And in one of his sermons, I remember this, this story very clearly that impacted my understanding of who I am and who God is. And it's a story that he told of an artist, and this artist was a portrait artist. He loved doing portraits. He enjoyed gathering people into his studio just so he could capture who they were in the essence of who they were in his art. And as he was walking one day, this artist was walking down the street, he saw a poor beggar on the street. And he saw this person for who he was, the, the, the issues that were happening in his life and the past that brought him to this place. And he was inspired and he talked to the beggar and he said, I would love to do a portrait of you and I'll pay you to do this portrait, to sit in my studio. He said, I'll pay you uh, $200 and here's the first hundred and I want you to come to my studio to have this portrait done. And so the, the man, in hopes of getting the, the next hundred dollars, he was willing to go. And before he went, he took the first hundred dollars that he had, and he went to the barber, he got his hair cut, he got his beard trimmed, he went to the tailor, he got a suit. Now this was back in the day when those things could be all bought for a hundred dollars. Uh, inflation since then has increased the price of that. 
But he goes and he gets himself all dressed up and ready to go. And he goes to the artist studio at the time and the day that the artist asks him to. And he knocks on the door. And the artist opens the door and he looks at the man and he says, Who are you? And the man says, Well, I, you asked me to, to do this portrait. I, I came to, to take this, you know, this time in your studio so that you could draw me and paint me. And the artist looked at him and said, Sir, I... I wanted you as you were. This is not who you were. This is not who you are. I want you for who you are. And you don't have to dress up to come. I wanted to take a portrait of you. And, and I share that story, and, and Tozer shared that story as well, as the experience of how we are to come to the Lord, where we are to come to the Lord with who we are, not trying to pretend or dress up ourselves in order to be more acceptable or accepted by Him. It's the sense of pretending and faking it, and, and that's not what God wants us to do. He desires for us to live authentically, coming as we are, not caring what people see in us, but really being honest before the Lord. Because I think we care more about how others see us than how God does. Too often I think we live into the same type of living as this beggar did where we feel like we have to have man's approval for how we look, for how we act. But the reality is, is that we should not care about what others think, because it only matters what God thinks of us. I struggled with this issue early on in ministry and in my life. I, I, I wrestled deeply with pleasing man and being good at what I was doing. I wanted to make everyone happy around me. Maybe you've experienced people-pleasing in your own life. But when I was an intern with a, a pastor named Nick Simpson, I was at Bedminster, New Jersey at this, this church with him, and he entrusted me to teach, and he entrusted me to work with the youth, and he would send me to the store to get snacks for youth ministry. And I remember this, this moment sticks in my mind so deeply where I felt like I had to please him so much that when I was at the store, I called and I said, what chips am I supposed to buy? Now, I know that sounds interesting, but I didn't want to displease him by getting the wrong chips. I wanted to make sure that Nick was happy with the chips that I chose for youth group because, you know, the right chips will ha help youth connect more to Jesus. Because if they have the wrong chips, they're not going to eat it, and their bellies are going to be empty, and they're not going to want to connect with Jesus. These are my thinking. This was my thinking. It was so just not good. And I remember being called out on the carpet for that sense of people-pleasing, where Nick was on the phone with me, and he's saying, dude, I don't care what chips you get. What chips do you like? Eat those chips. All right? Salt and vinegar it is. No one else loves those. I can eat all the chips I want. Right? But this issue of caring what man cares about was more important than what God cares about. And that is not how we are to live. And as we look at this passage in Scripture, continuously we'll see throughout the book of Corinthians, and we've already seen a whole lot of this, they struggled with looking right, looking good. We looked at marriage and singleness the last two weeks, and we saw that there were some in the church that said, you know, not being married is holier. And then others were saying, being married is holier. And then others were saying, you know, no intercourse in marriage is holier. And it's just this crazy, weird church that was consistently trying to one-up one another with how good they looked, with how awesome they were. And they, they had this issue consistently. And Paul, throughout this letter, continues to chip away 
at this idea of being holier than or being better than or looking better than. And we'll see that in this passage of, uh, passage of Scripture as well. They were coming up to this place of, of wondering, you know, now that I'm a Christian, how do I need to dress? How do I need to talk? How do I need to act? And it wasn't this idea of how am I to connect to God? How am I to please God with what I do? It was now that I am here, how can I fit in better? How can I, when I come into church, not be looked at weird because I'm a Gentile or not be looked at weird because I'm a Jew wearing what I'm wearing? It was this issue of how can I change to make people happy? And Paul goes against that ideal with them because we don't need to change our personality or our position to be accepted by Christ. You know, I'm a wild and crazy person. I have a lot of energy. And one time when I was uh, beginning my preaching, there was a, a guy who, who try, was trying to help me, but he said, hey, you know what? You need to not be so hyper when you preach. You need to just tone it down a little bit. And this was at a larger church where I had to teach five sermons. It was the Saturday into Sunday. I preached five times in a weekend. And he's like, you're going to wear yourself out. And I said, I don't think you know me very well. <laughs> I've got a lot of energy. He wanted me to change my personality in order to, to preach and teach the Word of God. And if I were to do that, I would be disingenuous. I would be up here trying to be monotone and, and trying to be, you know, right to the Word. But I said, no, I have to be true to who I am. And that's how we are to live before the Lord, being true to who we are, not trying to put on false pretense or wear masks or pretend we're something that we're not. We need to come as we are, and that's an important piece of what we see here in the Scriptures. You see, one of the things I really believe is that God loves us where we are, not necessarily where we should be, but He will take us to where we should be. It's not on us to take ourselves to where we should be. I think that we mess this up and we struggle with this often in our Christian life as the Corinthians did. We're to live authentically before the Lord. And I believe Paul answers this question, how do we live out our Christian lives authentically? How can we stop false pretense? How can we be real with the Lord? How can we live authentically? Let's uh, open our scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7, 17 through 24. It'll be on the screen, but I also encourage you to open up your app or your Bible, whatever you read the scripture on and follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. The word of the Lord. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at this time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, 
In whatever condition each one is called, there let him remain with God. Here we see Paul giving two very strong principles to the Corinthian church on how to live authentically. And the very first thing that we can see in verse 17 through 20 is be who God called you to be. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Paul, in this, in this letter, as many of his letters that he had to write to the churches, was dealing with a theology of the Judaizers. And the Judaizers would come into Christian churches where there were several Gentiles. And they were, they were Jews who seemingly found faith in Jesus Christ, but they would come into churches and stir up some bad theology. The theology that they were teaching to the Gentiles in the churches was, hey, that's great, you received the Jew Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're only halfway there. In order to go the full uh, intention of your salvation, you have to be circumcised. That is the, the mark of what God has says of his people. You're now a people with Jesus as, as Jews connect with Gentiles, and so it's time to be circumcised. Now, I don't know if you've ever read scripture, but through the New Testament and the Old Testament, circumcision comes up a lot. And it's, it's one of those things that was vitally important for the people of God as they were to separate themselves from the world. And so these Judaizers were saying that you're only half Christian. You're not there yet. You've got to go the full way. And you've got to commit to this. But Paul is speaking against that. And he even tells the Jews, hey, you know, you don't have to be uncircumcised now. You don't have to try and go back and revert back. God has called you who you are, where you were, and that is who you are. Your personality that, that God has gifted you and given you, your ethnicity that God has given you and gifted you, your place uh, in the world is where God has called you from. You are to be who God called you to be. I think often we feel that we need to change ourselves. That, yes, we are called to move out of sin closer to holiness. And God will convict us and convince us of those things that do need to be changed in our lives. But we try to be someone that we are not way too often. How often do we find ourselves pretending rather than living into who we really are? Trying to make people like us or love us because, well, you know, that type of Christian, they get all kinds of love. When that person does this, they, they get praise for how holy and awesome they are. But we pretend. That is not what God has, has desired for us. He wants us to be who we are. He accepts us for our personality he accepts us for the passions that we have. We don't have to try and rearrange or change. And he'll talk more about this when it comes to the, the body of Christ. You know, several people were, were thinking that, you know, the gift of prophecy is more important than the gift of hospitality. And so these people who were having the gift of hospitality felt less than. And so they tried to spur themselves up to a different gift. And he's saying, no, we need each and every one of you for who you are, for the gifting that God has you. Do not look badly upon how you've been created. I mean, some of you, you love hospitality. Open up your doors, you feed people. You'd feed the 5,000 if you could because you just love feeding people, having them over, having community. 
In others, that's not necessarily your gift. You're more of a hermit. You like to go into your study and read the Bible for 17 hours and ignore everybody around you, right? We're all created differently, and we have to be okay with who God has created us to be. Paul is saying live authentically into who you are. And this caused a ton of confusion. This idea of trying to pretend to be one person with a certain gift. And so everybody was just, this, this church was chaotic, okay? Let's just be honest about it. When you read the scripture, everything that was going on in this church was <whistles> kind of weird. Right? We've already talked about some weird stuff. We'll dig into more weird stuff. But be who God has called you to be. Don't try to be someone that pleases others. Please God. Because who you are is loved by God. The gifts you have is loved by God. Don't try to pretend and be someone else. This is an important thing. So in this culture that we're talking about is the idea of circumcision, uncircumcision that Paul is dealing with. But the American church has an issue with this idea of pretending as well. We have a, a dogmatic legalism sometimes that infiltrates the church where people say, hey, you have to wear this in order to be accepted at our church. You have to talk like this in order to be accepted in our church. You have to do this Bible study or that Bible study in order to be accepted in our church. You have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way. And so some people, they come into a community of faith where there's this dogmatic legalism and they try to change themselves. My friends, that's not what God says in the scripture. Again, there are areas where God will call sin out of our lives, where the Holy Spirit empowers us to repent and be convinced and convicted of our need to change away from a life of sin. I'm not talking about a life of sin. I'm talking about this conformity that we often try to impose upon people. Paul is saying, do not impose a certain aspect of conformity. Live for the pleasure of the Lord. Don't worry about what other people think or say or to live into who we are as a people. Because often what happens is if there's this dogmatic, legalistic ideal of what a Christian is to look like, talk like, act like, many of us will then put on that mask when we come to church. We'll have this, oh yeah, I, I got it all together. I'm good. And when someone asks, hey, do you read your Bible? Oh, I read it every day. I wake up at four in the morning and I read my Bible. But that might not be true. But we feel like we have to say that in order to be accepted, in order to be loved, in order to be admitted into the community. Now, that might not be the case for our church in general, but the American Christian subculture, all around we see this legalistic, dogmatic tendency. And we see masks and we see pretending rather than living into where we are really at where we can't feel the, the ability to share that we're struggling or that we're doubting. My friends, that's not how we are to live. We are to live authentically, honest before the Lord and before one another, not caring if they look down on us for us sharing our struggles or our pain or even confessing our sin. I think sometimes we're afraid to do that because we don't want to be rejected. But there's power in confession. There's power in authentic living, being real before God and before man. We cannot have this do and don't type of idea when it comes to the Lord. 
He wants relationship. He will change us in that relationship. And this, this actually brings about this idea of Jesus and. We say, in order to be saved, I have to have Jesus and what I do and don't do. I have to have Jesus and this pious, fake righteousness. But Jesus declares, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through your dogmatic sense of right, right and wrong or do's and don'ts. The Bible gives us the right and wrong. The Bible does give us do's and don'ts, but we can't do it in and of our own power. And we can't pretend like we're doing it when we're actually not. That's not living in the true, authentic faith that we're called to live. We're called to be honest before the Lord so that He can bring that change and that challenge to our lives. With this idea of faking it, I think we, we miss something important. To live authentically, we must embrace the reality that it's okay not to be okay. When I was in college, one of my professors said that to me. He was teaching a class, and he stopped and he said, you know what, guys, it's okay not to be okay. I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid. I had to always be okay. When I would go to church, people would ask me questions when I was young, and I had to have the right Bible answer. I had to, I had to be okay. How are you doing? Oh, man, you know, I'm good. When I was, you know, in ministry as an intern, I had to be okay all the time. I had to pretend like I had it all together. And there's this sense of, of pressurized legalism that I had in my life where I had to pretend I had it all together. Being given the freedom from someone who was really knowledgeable of Scripture, really passionate about Jesus, really led and guided by the Holy Spirit, when he gave me the freedom to say I'm not okay, it broke and changed and challenged something in me. I was finally able to admit to God and to others, I am not okay. Jesus, I need you. Sometimes we wait too long to admit that we're not okay. When everything breaks and crumbles around us, we talked last week about marriage and marriage issues. When our marriage is on the brink of death, that's when we say, okay, we're not okay. Maybe I'm not doing well. But if we were to, at the genesis of the brokenness, admit that we're not okay and seek out help, man, we wouldn't have had to go through all this crazy wonkiness that happens in our lives or our marriages or with our kids or in our job. It's okay not to be okay. You don't have to pretend like you have it all together. Because when you do, you're not truly repenting. You're not truly confessing. You're not allowing the Spirit of God to transform and change you. Admit when you're struggling, when you're doubting, when you're in pain. And when God empowers the change in our lives, it is authentic change. When we come to the Lord in our admittance of not being okay, where we stop pretending, where we stop wearing masks, when we stop acting as if we have it all together and that we can keep it all together, when we come to the Lord in authenticity and saying, here's where I really am. I'm not where I should be, and I know it. I'm not doing well, and I know it. When we come to the Lord in that humility, the change that comes into our lives is real, authentic change. My friends, I don't know why we have such pressure to pretend that we're fine 
when we're not. But as your pastor, as your friend, I tell you it's okay not to be okay. And that the Lord wants to do a deep work within your heart, within your soul, to bring about authentic change, authentic transformation. And it's only possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit within us. We have to stop trying to live the Christian life alone. We need the Holy Spirit and we need one another. Which means when someone comes before you and says, I'm not okay, there's not the sense of, man, you're so off base, I can't believe I'm your friend. We say, how can I help you? And many times you'll discover when you go first in sharing that you're not doing okay, that will give your friend freedom to say, I'm not okay either. Let's walk this together. We need each other in community. We need the Holy Spirit of the living God. We need His empowerment. On the flip side, change motivated by man's desires is not authentic change. Many times we might have a friend or a, a girlfriend or a spouse or a boyfriend or you know a friend at work or people at church that we have to try and change ourselves when we're in front of them. We try to put on this front and we say, oh man, I've changed. I'm a different person. But inwardly, nothing has happened. Jesus talked to the Pharisees about this very issue. He said, wow, you look really good on the outside. You have whitewashed tombs, this perfectly lime, clean, pristine grave. <laughs> but on the inside is full of dead man's bones. That outside pristine cleanliness is worthless because inside you're dead. You're not alive. Too often we try to change for the pleasure of other people, but it only becomes a whitewashed tomb. We're not dealing with the death inside. Jesus wants to transform every aspect of our lives. The death inside he wants to deal with. The sin, the doubt, the frustration, the struggles inside he wants to deal with to bring about real, lasting change. So we see that we are to be who God called us to be. The next principle that we see in this passage is that we must realize that significance is determined by our position before God, not our popularity among people. Significance is determined by our position before God, not our popularity among people. The issue that was really going on in the Corinthian church was that they wanted to be seen as something that they were not. They wanted to be popular in their church. It was like an Ananias and Sapphira moment where in Acts, we see Acts 5, we see that Barnabas, he gave willingly with a passionate heart everything that he had when he sold his land and he laid it before the disciples' feet and he was encouraged and he was applauded and they were so excited that they worshiped God for his generosity. Ananias and Sapphira said, "Woo! he just got really popular really fast. We're going to sell our land and we're going to pretend that we're giving everything as well. We're going to have this, you know, this, this time of worship around our generosity. But they lived into this idea of living inauthentically. And they were killed by God for that fake pretend moment. Because they were lying, as Peter said, not only to everyone else, but they were lying to God. 
Now, Vance Havner said that if God dealt with us the way he did with Ananias and Sapphira, every church would have tons of tombs and gravestones around it because we'd all die, <laughs> because we all do the same thing. We put on false pretense. We want popularity, but it all comes down to this idea of significance. The people in Corinth wanted to know that they were significant. Now listen, the human heart craves certain things. The human heart craves acceptance. The human heart craves belonging. The human heart craves safety. The human heart craves love. And the human heart craves significance. The world around us wants to tell us that we're not significant unless we have this. We're not significant unless we're popular. We're not significant unless we have lots of friends. We're not significant unless we have a lot of money. We're not significant unless we have the greatest job. We're not significant unless we have the largest church. Or we're not significant unless we have the largest whatever. You fill in the blank. We believe the lie of false significance. And when we try to be significant when it comes to man's pleasure, we will always, 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 and I say always fall short because men are fickle beings you might have the greatest tesla today but in a couple months the newest tesla is going to come out and you're gonna be like wow man that guy's got the he's everyone wants to ride in his car not mine anymore i got the old version whatever it might be where are you trying to find your significance because the corinthians were trying to find their significance in a whole ton of wrong things thinking that they needed to change, that they needed to be circumcised or uncircumcised. I'm grateful that that's not an issue today in today's church. But what he's saying to the church in Corinth is to these people, these slaves even, he says, you are all significant before the Lord. I want to share with you today that you are significant, not because of your job or popularity, but when Christ sees you as his child, those of us who know him deeply, who've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, he looks and he says, you are significant. I don't want you to believe a lie that you're insignificant, that you're insufficient, that you're not enough. Christ is the one who gives us worth. Christ is the one who gives us that significance. When God sees us as children of God, he sees the Son. He sees Jesus. We are clothed with him. You are significant. He bought us with a price, Paul reminds us in this passage. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. No one is better in God's eyes. When we are children of God, we are all equal. We are all there with equal standing. And popularity means nothing in the eternal picture. It is our relationship to him that counts. How often do we try to make people like us and we neglect our relationship with Christ as a, re as a, as a result? I know I've done it in my life. I'm sure that you've done it in your life as well. Where we crave significance so much that we cared too much about what people thought and not enough about what God thought. And so we tried to find our significance in other things. But when it comes to the issue of eternity, 
your popularity doesn't matter. If you've lived your life for the Lord and you were the wealthiest person in Indiana County and you die and you go before the Lord and at the same time you were the poorest, slummiest person that, that was in Indiana County, but you lived your life for the Lord, when you come before the Father, He doesn't say to the wealthiest person, wow, you did a great job earning money and you're so much more important. I'm going to give you the biggest mansion because you had a mansion on earth. No, it's equal. So why do we strive so much for man's pleasure or popularity to be liked or loved by others? It's because we don't believe the truth that God sees us as significant. Do not live into that lie. We must learn our significance before the Father. We must live into the greatness of his love that creates that significance within us. We have no goodness in and of ourselves, but because we have Christ, we are made good. We are made clean. We are made whole. But the enemy likes to just whisper in our ear, it's not enough. It's, you're not enough. It's not good enough. Man, so many people's lives have been derailed by that lie, mine included. The last phrase in verse 24 always catches me when it comes to this idea of our significance. He says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Many of you have heard me when we walk through the book of John and other books in the, in the, in the, in, uh, the past that we've walked through, that this idea of remaining or abiding is vital to the life of a believer. The word remain here is, the, the root word is meno, which means to dwell, abide, spend time with, live with, live next to God. He's saying, listen, you will find your significance. You will see God's pleasure for who you are when you abide. When you abide. Now, what does abiding look like? It seems like this big astronomical phrase and, you know, yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm to abide. But how do I do that? Well, obviously there's prayer. Obviously there's the word of God. But God, because you are good for who God has created you to be, you connect to God in different ways. Some of you, you can go out in nature and you experience God in nature. Me, I'm learning how to do that better, but not too long ago when I tried to commune with God in nature, I sat on a log and I said, Lord, I want to I wanna experience you as I read your word in the midst of that lovely creation that you've created. And then a chipmunk jumped out at me and I left. I was like, you can keep this. I, people love that, right? You connect with God in different ways. I connect with God in community. I connect with God as I pray in silence. I connect with God as I read the scriptures. I connect with God as I write and as I journal. I write so much because I'm connecting with God as I do it. I read so much because I'm connecting with God as I do it, but you were created differently. Some of you, when you worship or you put on K-Love or you put on that favorite worship CD as you're driving, you know, you find yourself weeping because you experience the presence of God in worship. Man, go after those moments. That's where you abide. That's where you spend time with Jesus, where his presence is so overwhelming for you. Go to those places. That is how God has created you to abide, to connect with him the most. 
go after him. Remain in him. And when you come before the Father honestly, authentically, in those moments as you're abiding, and you experience his love and his words of significance over you in those moments, you will be changed. Because we do have this sense of how could God love me? I need to change in order for him to love me. I need to clean up, put my suit on, shave. But we don't have to do that because that's false pretense. But when we abide with him and we're honest with where we are and experience his love and his words of significance over us in those moments, man, that changes. And one of the things I love about marriage is that when Hillary sees me at my worst, I still know she loves me. That's transformative. It's not this sense of I do for you and you do for me and that's how we'll find love. But there's significance in love even at my worst and at my best moments. When we abide in him, we reside in safety, security, and satisfaction. That's other aspects of what we crave. We, just, we crave safety, security, and satisfaction. We talked a couple weeks ago, there was a two-part series on satisfaction in a dissatisfying world. Here we can see remnants of this again. This idea of being satisfied is only found in the Lord. You cannot be satisfied in any other thing. You cannot be secured in any other thing. You cannot feel safe in any other thing. You can only feel those things in the presence of your Father who loves you, who says you are significant who says, I love you. Be who you are called to be. It's in his presence that we experience this. A mentor, a friend, an author calls this dwelling in the river. Rob Reamer wrote an entire book called River Dwellers that has I've read cover to cover at least four times because it continuously challenges me to be in the river of God, in the flow of the Holy Spirit, residing and remaining in him. It's convicting, it's challenging, and it gives uh, railways on how I can better abide in Him. We're to be people who dwell in the river of God. And because we have the Holy Spirit who remains, who may know, He dwells within us, we can dwell with God in a way that the Old Testament covenant never was able to do for those who followed after Him. Jesus, when He ascended, said, I'm sending one who will come to you, who will be your counselor, who will give you power, Acts 1.8. He will empower us for mission. He will empower us for our living. We need to dwell in the river of the Holy Spirit because authentic Christian living is only done by dwelling in the river of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal. They have different parts that they play in our lives. God the Father sent the Son, the Son died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit for us to have the fire of God living within us. My friends, you will not find significance or love outside of the presence of God. I challenge you to go forward and spend time remaining, menoing in Him. That's where you will find your significance. That's where you will experience the love of your Abba who desperately desires deep relationship with you. 
He created you for relationship. So may you remain in him. Let yourself be guided by Christ and his word and allow the spirit to call forth and empower change. For we all do need to change. But it's not for man's pleasure, it's for the Lord's. It's to be convicted and convinced of our sin, turning it over to him, empowered by the spirit to move beyond them. For we are new creations. We are not the old. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending the Son. I thank you for giving us the Spirit to abide, to dwell, to know you, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity. That as we read the Word of God, you enlighten our eyes to the change and transformation we need. I thank you that you love us where we are, not as we should be, but I also thank you that you bring us to the place where we should be. I pray that we'll be people who abide. In your name, amen.